Well, we're continuing our organic outreach, um, organic outreach sermon series, Sharing the Best News Ever. And, and what would I want to do? We're going to watch a video in just a little bit, uh, but I just want to remind us, why are we talking about organic outreach, okay? It's not, uh, yes, it kind of has to do with gardening because we talk about preparing the soil and things like that, um, but this is what we're talking about, okay? Organic outreach is about living the kind of life that naturally draws people to Jesus, okay? It involves speaking the kinds of words that you would use in ordinary conversations that reveal the presence of a loving God. It means loving people in a way that's genuine. And then there in the green there, organic outreach is all about sharing our faith in a way that is authentic, real, and feels natural to the people around us. You see, God has called us to be witnesses, to be ambassadors, okay? And sometimes for some of us, and and this is for me too, it can be this like, how do I say it? What do I do? Well, you know what? God wants to move in and through you. It doesn't have to be this robotic thing or this, I've memorized this script. How do I share about the things in my life that are important to me? How God has wired you. How you share about the things in your life that are important, whether it's music or sports, an athletic team, uh, art, whatever it is that you share with people, you can share about Christ in much the same way because he's wired you and he's gifted you in a way that's going to be able to impact somebody different than I'll be able to impact. We all have a role to play in this, okay? So that's what we're talking about, organic outreach. Again, this is going to take us probably all the way through um, till we get close to Christmas in December. We've got a couple breaks in the sermon series because we have some missionaries coming, which works really well because we're talking about being missionaries here. We're going to learn about how the missionaries live as missionaries there, and we're going to be able to encourage them, and, and they're going to be able to encourage us because you know what? We all have the same calling. They're just maybe living in places like Papua New Guinea, and you're living in Jackson, Michigan. There's a lot of people that don't know about Jesus in Papua New Guinea. A lot of people that have never heard about him. And in other countries that we have missionaries. And we need to pray for them and support them. They are doing God's work there. Guess what? There's a lot of people here in Jackson County that don't know Jesus. And the Jesus that maybe they've heard about, they probably just heard caricatures of it. They don't really understand the real Jesus. And guess what? We've been called. But I'm getting ahead of myself. So go ahead and watch this video a little bit about what the gospel is. It's the full story of life crushed into four minutes. The entirety of humanity in the palm of your hand crushed into one sentence. Listen, it's intense, right? God, our sins, paying everyone life. The greatest story ever told that's hardly ever told. God. Yes, God, the maker and giver of life. And by life, I mean any and all manner and substance, seen and unseen, what can and can be touched. Thoughts, image, emotions, love, atoms, and oceans, God. All of it is handiwork, one of which is masterpiece, made so uniquely that angels look curiously. The one thing in creation that was made with his imagery, the concept, so cold. It's the reason I stay bold, how God breathed in a man and he became a living soul. Formed with the intent of being infinitely, intimately fond. Creator and creation held an eternal bond. And it was placed in perfect paradise till something went wrong. A species got deceived and started lusting for his job. An odd list of complaints as if the system ain't working. And used that same breath he graciously gave us to curse him. And that sin seed spread through our soul's genome. And by nature of your nature, your species, you participated in the mutiny. Our, yes, our sins. 
It's nature inherited, black in the human heart. It was over before it started. Deceived from day one and led away by our own lust. There's not a religion in the world that doesn't agree that something's wrong with us. The question is, what is it? And how do we fix it? Are we eternally separated from a God that may or may not have existed? But that's another subject. Let's keep grinding besides trying to prove God is like defending a lion, homie. It'll need your help. Just unlock the cage. Let's move on on how our debt can be paid. Short and sweet. The problem is sin. Yes, sin. It's a cancer. An asthma choking out our life force, forcing separation from a perfect and holy God. And the only way to get back is to get back to perfection. But silly us, trying to pass the course of life without referring to a syllabus. This is us. Keep up your good deeds. Chant, pray, meditate. But all of that, of course, is spraying cologne on a corpse. Or you could choose to ignore it as if something don't stink. It's like stepping in dog poop and refusing to wipe your shoe, but all of that ends with how good is good enough. Take your silly list of good deeds and line them up against perfection. Good luck. That's life past your pay grade. The cost of your soul, you ain't got a big enough piggy bank, but you could give it a shot. But I suggest you throw away the list, because even your good acts are an extension of your selfishness. But here's where it gets interesting. I hope you're closely listening. Please don't get it twisted. It's what makes our faith unique. Here's what God says is part A of the gospel. You can't fix yourself. Quit trying. It's impossible. Sin brings death. Give God his breath back. You owe him. Eternally separated. And the only way to fix it is someone die in your place. And that someone got to be perfect. Or the payment ain't permanent. So if and when you find a perfect person, get him or her to willingly trade their perfection for your sin and death in. Clearly, since the only one that can meet God's criteria is God, God sent himself as Jesus to pay the cost for us. His righteousness his death functions as payment yes payment wrote a check with his life but at the resurrection we all cheered because that means the check clears pierced feet pierced hands blood-stained son of man fullness forgiveness free passage into the promised land that same breath that god breathed into us god gave up to redeem us and anyone and everyone and by everyone i mean everyone who puts their faith and trust in him and him alone can stand in full confidence of God's forgiveness. And here's what the promise is, that you are guaranteed full access to return to perfect unity by simply believing in Christ and Christ alone. You are receiving life. Yes, life. This is the gospel. God our sins paying everyone life. Amen. That's the gospel. And you know what? That sure hope that we have is something that the world desperately needs, right? So I want to look at a passage real quick as we we reflect on what does it mean? God, our sins, paying everyone life. Let's go ahead and look real quick at the book of 1 Peter. This, this passage should be familiar to you because we've studied the whole book of 1 Peter. But you see, this is the gospel. 
God, our sins, pain, everyone, life. A lot of you know that. You know that from the time that you were young. There's so many people out there that don't know that. That they try to keep up their good deeds to be good enough to cover up what's, what's not there. And you know what's interesting? He said that's like spraying perfume on a corpse, okay? And, and a couple of weeks ago, I was cleaning up a bunch of dead frogs that had fallen in a window well, okay? And it was just smelling really bad. And I didn't have an opportunity to do it that day, so we sprayed some Lysol around it. And guess what? It just smelled like decaying Lysol, okay? You see, we have the good news. That is not what you, you can't save yourself. That's what Christianity is all about. You can't do it, but God already did it. And like we read here in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again. There's new life. The bones are alive now to a living hope. How? Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. This living hope, this confident expectation of we know where we're going to go when we die. We know how the story ends. We can have confidence that God is going to make everything new and we can live life with that confidence. We have a living hope because we are going to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable undefiled and will not fade away it's reserved in heaven for you and for me who believe for those of us who are protected by the power of god through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time when we want to be about sharing our faith with other people one of the most important things is to reflect on what the gospel is to reflect where we would be without the gospel to reflect on what we have because of the gospel And ask God to give us eyes for those around us and be like, what would their answers be to that question? Because maybe they don't have the gospel. They don't have the hope that you and I have. Or maybe you're here today and you don't have that confident expectation because you've never put your faith in Jesus. Maybe you're still resting on the reality or on the thinking, I'm not that bad. Maybe I'm good enough. I hope I I make it to heaven someday. And if that's you, I want you to know, I I don't wish or hope I go to heaven. I know. And that's not because I'm so good. No, no. Paul says, I'm the chief of sinners. And I go, amen for me, Paul. Okay? Us getting into heaven is not based on the good that we do or the bad that we don't do. It's because we have been redeemed. We have been bought. That's what that word means. Bought back with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. So I have a confident expectation. And if you don't have that today because you've never put your faith in Jesus, then I want you to know that God is reaching out to you. He's made a way for you to be saved, for you to go to heaven with him. So we're talking about how do we share our faith. And and you know what? This sermon is a little bit of of a different kind of sermon. It's more of a doing sermon. We're going to practice some of the things that we're talking about today. I'm just giving you a heads up about it, okay? Because the Christian faith is not just something here and here. It shows up in different ways. But before we get into that, here's a little bit of review. What is our calling? Because you know what? We're Skiff Lake what church? Bible church. And why do we have that in there? Why are we called Skiff Lake Bible church? Because we could be called other churches. We, we, Skiff Lake Christian church, that would be, that'd be fine, right? I mean, like Christians, right? We, back in the day, 55-ish years ago, right? Okay, when they picked the name, Skiff Lake Bible church, because we say this is the foundation for our lives. This is how we know who God is. This is how we know how... how he, Jesus has come to save us. This is how we know how we're supposed to live. And here's some things from this book, Skip Lake Bible Church, that we're called to do and to be. Let's look at this. Matthew 28, 
Jesus came to them, to his disciples, and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And here's the promise. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Part of the passage we already read today. He said to them, this is right before he ascends into heaven. It's not for you to know the days and the times, the times and the dates the Father has set for his own authority. The kingdom is coming. It's there. Wait for it. While you're waiting, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. He says, look, yes, the kingdom is going to be set up. Wait for it. While you wait, what are you supposed to be about? You're going to get power when the Spirit comes to live inside of you. Power to be my witnesses, to share what you've seen, what you've heard, what you've experienced here around you in the neighboring places where your enemies are that you don't like and all throughout the world. Finally, we could find more, but we're just going to look at these three. Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 19. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, bringing what was enemies into friendship, not counting men's sins against them. Let's just pause there. We read that and sometimes we're just like, yeah. That phrase should like knock us over. God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting men's sins against them. That's the gospel. And he's committed to us this message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him, Jesus, who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And the phrase that I want to focus on today is this. As though God were making his appeal through us. Do you see the weightiness of that calling? One of the books that we're leaning into is called Organic Outreach for Ordinary People, Sharing Good News Naturally by Kevin G. Harney. And he quotes um, from another book written in the 1980s called Lifestyle Evangelism, okay? About as though God were making his appeal through us. Like God wants to save the world and he's making his appeal through you and me. Even in heaven, Jesus bore the marks of his earthly pilgrimage with its cruel cross and shameful death. The angel Gabriel approached him and said, Master, you must have suffered terribly while down there. I did, he said. And continued Gabriel, do they know all about how you love them and what you did to them? Oh no, said Jesus, not yet. Right now only a handful of people in Palestine do. Gabriel was perplexed. Then, Then what have you done? What have you done to let everybody know how much you love them and what you've done for them? Jesus said, I've asked Peter, James, John, and a few more friends to tell other people about me. Those who are told will in turn still tell other people about me. And my story will spread to the farthest reaches of the globe. Ultimately, all people will have heard about my life and what I've done. Gabriel frowned, looked rather skeptical. Yes, but but what if Peter, James, and John grow weary? What if the people who come after them forget? What if way down in the 21st century, people just don't tell others about you? Haven't you made any other plans? And Jesus answered, I haven't made any other plans I'm counting on them. What a sobering thought. We are God's primary plan for spreading the message of the good news of his son. As the Holy Spirit leads, fills, and empowers us, we can become his messengers. Because here's what, here's what Christianity is all about. Paul says, the end goal of Christianity is Christ conformed. You conform to Christ. Christ made in you. 
God wants to bear fruit in our lives by us becoming more like Christ. When we die and we go to heaven, that transformation is complete. We don't have the old sinful self. And part of taking on the nature of Christ is taking on his love that compelled him to go to the cross to save the world. And how can we love others to show them their need of a Savior and and God's love for them? Because this, it is as though God is making his appeal through us. And that's why this sermon is a little bit different kind of sermon, because it's not so much a sermon sermon, but a, a doing sermon. Because you see, you know, I, I, I feel like I'm not very good at this. Like I want, I want to do better of sharing my faith with other people that are around me, with building relationships. It's something I'm growing in. This is something that has been on my heart for a long time, and I see growth over the years and years, and I'm just asking God, keep growing me, keep making opportunities. God, will you help me to live this way, to help lead this church in this way? Because guess what? God is making his appeal to the world through you and through me. And that's a high weighty calling. So how can we, how can we do this? Today, uh, we're going to be looking a little bit at raising our evangelistic temperature. That's what we're talking about today, turning up the heat. Because you see, if you're like a lot of people, me included, you don't often think in you, as you go throughout life, how can I share my faith with others? Or how can I let them know about Jesus, okay? Because there's other things that are on your mind. Like, did I have breakfast this morning, right? Or what do I have to do for my job? Like things that are right in front of us. And so in the book here, Kevin Harney talks about we have this evangelistic temperature scale, okay? From zero to ten. And zero over here would be, you know what, I don't really think very much about sharing my faith with others. I don't really pray for opportunities. It's just not on my heart and my mind. And 10 is over here where this is something that I'm, I'm pursuing, I'm constantly about, and I want to be about that. And here's the thing. It doesn't matter where you are at today. Here's the challenge. How can each day we take a step to take wherever we're at? I'm a two. How can I take a step to help turn it up to a three? So just think about where are you at today in your evangelistic temperature? Just be honest. And you know what? Some people, they kind of slide their scale more to the left, where if they're doing really well, they're like a seven, okay? That's just, that's as high as they're ever going to rate themselves. That's okay. It doesn't matter. Some people, they, they kind of slide their scale the other way. They're never going to be below a five. That's okay. It doesn't matter where you're at. The challenge is, where am I at now, and what can I do to turn up the heat in my life in an evangelistic way? And we're going to talk about some ways that we can do that. And really, as I found in my life, the most, in, like the easiest way to do this is to try to, how do we keep this in front of us? How do we remember what our calling is? Because when we cool off, it's because we forget that I'm, I'm, I'm to live the missionary life here. Because you see, being a missionary isn't just what we speak, it's also how we live in front of others. It's a holistic type thing. It's an organic type thing. So we're going to be getting into this, but how do we seek to raise our evangelistic temperature? And here's the first part, and I think this is the most important part. Engage in prayer consistently. And we're going to have time, we're going to take a little bit of time in the service later on to just do a little bit of prayer. You can pray with somebody next to you, you can just pray yourself. Okay, so that's coming up, just to give you a little bit of of a heads up, okay? Because here's the thing. If we want to be effective in the calling God has given to us, in being a missionary, in living his life, in doing the work unto him, then prayer is going to be this hugely important thing for us. Kevin Harney writes this, Prayer is a cornerstone of all effective outreach. 
we unleash heavenly power when we pray for lost people. We're also called to pray for ourselves and other believers to enter the harvest fields with God's good news. Okay? Now, that's what Kevin Harney said who wrote this book. Okay? We're not skiff like outreach, organic outreach church, right? Okay? So is it a good thing he said? Well, let's look at what Jesus said in the Bible. Matthew 9, verse 35. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, healing every disease and sickness. And get this, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. That's the heart of Jesus. We talked about this last week. It's that word, splatnitsomai. This deep-seated, from-the-gut, compassion, love, pity that compels you to action. He had compassion on them because he saw them. He like saw through what, what, the, what they were projecting and he saw they're, they're harassed and helpless. They're like sheep without a shepherd. He had compassion on them. He saw their real condition and what is his response here? Oh, I already talked about that. What is his response here? Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send workers into the harvest field. You see, Jesus looked out. He had compassion on them. This plagnitzomai, this deep-seated pity, compassion, love that wants to compel him to action because he saw through what they were projecting. They're like sheep without a shepherd. They're tossed this way and that way. And so he said, what is our response? Pray. Ask the Lord of the harvest. Ask him to send out workers in the harvest field because the harvest is ready. You look around this world, there are so many people that are harassed and helpless like a sheep without a shepherd. And we may see things in their life, pride and sin and all that, and I think they don't know the truth. They're lost. And Jesus looks on them with compassion because he died for them just like he died for you and just like he died for me. And he wants to grow in us that splagnitsomai compassion that we look at that and we say, Oh God, the harvest is plentiful. Send out workers and make me one of them. And when we reflect that character of Jesus, I think our evangelistic temperature goes up. Because you see, we're, we're to pray for ourselves and for other Christians. We can pray prayers like, God, will you give me a heart like Jesus? God, will you grow that compassion in me that you have? Do you know that Jesus, he looked at Jerusalem and he started weeping and he said, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I've longed to cover you up like a mother hen does its chicks, but you're unwilling. And so destruction is going to come on you. That's the heart God wants us to have for the lost. God, will you help us to notice and connect with people who are far from you, God? God, will you help me to love this person the way you do? And will you show me how to lovingly meet their needs in your name? When we put prayers like this into practice on a regular, consistent basis, we will raise our temperature when it comes to evangelism because we keep it in front of us. And it's not just keeping it in front of us, but we're asking God to change us. We're asking him to prepare people. We're asking him to use us. And I think God loves to answer prayers like that. And I believe that if you take time to pray these prayers, I think you're going to see opportunities that God brings in front of you to live out your faith in front of somebody, to pray for them, to encourage them to share your faith. Because God hasn't called us to do something that he's not going to empower us to do. And again, I'm preaching to myself because I want to grow in this. 
So we're called to pray. How are we supposed to pray? Well, again, let's look at scriptures. Two parables from the book of Luke, Luke chapter 15, that Jesus talks about how we are to pray. Get this parable. Jesus said to them, suppose one of you has a friend and he goes to him at midnight and says, friend, lend me three loaves of bread because a friend of mine on a journey has come to me and I have nothing to set before him. Now, if you live back in that day, this would be a horrible thing. Hospitality was so huge. You wanted to be ready for people. And it's midnight and your friend has come to you and you're like, I don't have any food. But my neighbor, who's my friend, lives over there and he has food. I'm going to go knock on his door to, give, to, to ask for food. But then the one inside answers, don't bother me. The door is already locked. My children are with me in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. You, you see, back in the day, it's like the place where they slept was almost all together. So if he's going to get up out of bed, he's got to wake up everybody to get to the kitchen, to get the stuff, to go out there. So yes, I'm your friend. Sorry, our friendship is great, but it's not worth me doing all that to give you bread. That's basically what the man is saying. I tell you, says Jesus, though he will not get up and give him the bread because he's his friend, Yet because of the man's boldness, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. Now, what does that mean? It's important for us to kind of get the picture of what this asking is like, okay? Here's a picture. The guy's not just standing at the door. He's standing at probably the gate to the courtyard. So he's more like out by the street where there's this courtyard, and he's going to knock on that gate, and, and, and there's a house within that. So it's midnight. Picture this, okay? He's knocking. If you're trying to wake somebody up at midnight, you're not knocking on their front door, but you're knocking on the gate that's outside, how loud do you think you're knocking? Pretty loud, right? So he says, look, the guy's not going to get up because he's his friend, but because of his boldness, or a better way to translate it, because of his shameless audacity. I don't care if everybody in this block knows my need. I'm asking for it. I'm going to wake up everybody because I need this bread. So Jesus said, I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you'll find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receive. He who seeks, finds. And to him who knocks, the door will be opened. God desires us to pray these prayers with a bold, shameless audacity. To pray and keep praying. And that's a challenge I have for me and a challenge I have for you. And I believe as we pray this way, God will work and move. Let's look at another passage. I I love when when, uh, this happens in the narrative. Jesus told his disciples a parable, and it says, why? Because sometimes we read the parables, and we're like, what does that mean? The disciples did that. They're like, Jesus, cool stories, but what does it mean? And so this one, it just says why he told it. To show them that they should always pray and not give up. Jesus said this, In a certain town there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared about men. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, Grant me justice against my adversary." For some time he refused, but finally he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care about men, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, keeps pestering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually wear me out with her coming. And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith? on this earth you see god is calling us to pray with a shameless audacity he's calling us to pray persistently until we get an answer 
Now, we're not diving a deep dive into everything about prayer because we know that sometimes we pray for things very fervently that, that we don't get because it wasn't God's will for us. And we don't understand. It seems like it's the best for us, but God says, you can trust me. This is what's going on. But a couple things we can glean from this is when we pray, we want to pray in the name and the power of Jesus. Now, that doesn't just mean that we tag in the name of Jesus, amen, on everything. It means that we're praying according to his will and for his glory, okay? And when we pray, I believe God wants us to pray with a bold and shameless audacity. God, I don't know how you're going to do it, but will you give me that loving nature that Christ had? Will you do that in me? God, I don't know how you're going to do this, but my, but, but my neighbor or my son or my daughter or my mother or my father or whatever, like, God, I need you to reach them. Their heart is so hard. I'm going to keep knocking on this door. And I'm not going to give up until an answer is given. I think that's how God wants us to pray. And when we pray in that way, I think our evangelistic temperature rises. And here's what I want to do. If our, if our uh, ushers can pass out those, those cards that we have, okay? Uh, what you're going to get is you're going to get a little handout that we've had before that talks about the PDAs of evangelism, praying, displaying, being available, and sharing. But you're also going to get a little card, okay? And this little card that you're going to get has the gospel on one side of it, okay? God, our sins, pain, everyone, life, okay? On the other side of it, it has five slots. People I'm praying for, okay? Here's my challenge for you, okay? You can start thinking about it before you get it. We're going to take uh, a couple minutes. Uh, so, Sam, if you want to get ready to play in just a little bit, we're going to take a couple minutes to practice this, okay? You're going to get this card, okay? And I want you to think about three to five people that you know that you have some type of relationship with that God puts on your heart that don't know Jesus as Savior or you're unsure if they do. And I want you to write their names on that card. Three to five people, okay? If you can't think of three people, at least get one on there, okay? And what we're going to do in this next little bit of time, so you got, you have, well, it take about five minutes or so to think through, ask God, God, show me who are some people in my life, in my sphere of influence, that don't know you. And then I want you to start praying for them. And I'm going to put up here on the screen a couple things, a, a couple ways that can guide our prayers. This is not exhaustive, obviously. But you can ask God, will you orchestrate events in the life of this person and fill in the blank? Will you orchestrate events in their life so that they realize just how loved they are? Will you orchestrate events in their life so they realize that their good deeds will not get them to heaven? Fill in the blank. God, I pray that their hearts will be soft to your presence and your promptings. God, I pray that your Holy Spirit will convict them of sin and help them see their need for your grace. Because you know what? That's what the Holy Spirit does. It's not your job to convict them. It's the Holy Spirit's job. God, I pray that as your blessings flow into their lives, I pray they'll recognize your goodness. Do you know that God says he, he lets it rain on the righteous and the wicked and give sun to the righteous and the wicked? God, when you bless them, help them to see where that came from. God, will you break down and remove obstacles in their lives that are keeping them from seeing and responding to the Holy Spirit? And you can take some time to surrender. God, I want to surrender my life, my time, and my words to you, God. Will you use me to reflect your grace 
to serve faithfully, to love genuinely, and share His good news when the time is right. Okay, so, so that, that little card that you have, okay, that's what I want you to focus on for the next couple minutes. Three to five names. And let's just take a couple minutes to write that down and pray. Because again, this is a doing sermon. And God's going to work through our prayer. So we'll take a couple minutes to do that.
Lord, I pray for all of us here that you will make us more and more like you, God, that will live out your love to those around us. God, I pray for those that we've written down on these cards. God, you love them so much. God, will you give us your heart for them? Help us to see them the way you do. God, I pray, God, you remove the blinders that are over them. Help them to see how desperately you love them. Help them to realize that they're hopeless apart from you and help them to see your love for them. And will you help them to put their faith in you? And Lord, will you use us? In your name we pray. Amen. Now, I challenge and encourage you, put this in a place that you're going to see it every day and pray for these people. Because you see, when you pray for them, it's twofold. One, you're, you're doing that spiritual warfare prayer. And two, it's helping raise your temperature because you're keeping it right in front of you. So I encourage you and I challenge you to do this. And ask one another how it's going. Hey, hey, are you praying? And, not, and, and when somebody asks you that, you don't have to be like, oh no, I forgot. Just do it. Let God make us more and more into people that we say, this is worth the time and effort because this is part, this is a big reason that we've been called to live now. A, a couple things as, as we work to wrap this up. I think prayer, that's, that's why it's first and can be the most important thing. Uh, here's a couple other a couple other ways that we can raise our temperature, okay? Number two, make time to connect with unbelievers. Sometimes it's like as we grow in our faith, like we surround ourselves with people that are Christians, which is awesome, but sometimes we can look at our life over a week and we're like, when did I really connect with people that don't know Jesus? And if I don't take time to connect with people who don't know Jesus, how can I live the missionary life in front of them? So for us to look at that. Then we, a way to raise the temperature is to tell stories, okay? When you encounter somebody that you've been praying for and you're able to share God's love with them in some way, big or small, share that with somebody else. Not to puff you up, but it just this keeps it in front of us. You know, you can even share some of your failures, okay? One of the ways that we can connect with people, okay, at a restaurant, so that you order your food and that's it, okay, they're about to leave. Hey, we're going to pray for our food in a bit. We'd love to pray for you. If you have a need, just let us know when you bring the food out. Okay? They don't have, they're not put on the spot. They don't have to do it right then. They go away. Okay? I've gone out to eat a handful of times the last couple of weeks. And every time I'm like, God, I'm going to say that. And then I did it. And I'm like, okay? That happened to me like three or four times. Okay? We're not always going to get it right. Okay? But this last week I went out and I fumbled over my words when I said it, but I said it. I did. Okay, and the waitress there, she got a big smile. She said, thank you. Left, came back with the food about 10 minutes later and said, thank you for asking me to pray. My father was just diagnosed with cancer. Now, I share that not to be like, oh, look at that, okay? Because I, I didn't do it like three or four times, okay? It will happen. But when I finally was like, okay, mumbled over my words, stumbled. I mean, I talk up here all the time, right? But yeah, I just, it was an encouragement to her. And now she can be on my list and her dad can be on my list because I can pray, God, will you use this situation to draw them toward you? I don't know what her faith is. I don't know anything like that. I have a name. I have a need. I can pray. We can do that. Another way to, make, to raise our temperature is make celebrations uh, natural. 
okay? When, when Easton and Journey came up here and, and confessed their faith, we celebrate that, okay? It should make us excited. People are putting their faith in Jesus. When they were baptized, we celebrate that. When you share a story of how somebody let you pray for them, or maybe you have a relative that's been really closed off to God and you've been able to have some spiritual conversations with them. They're, they're moving on that journey. We share it and we celebrate it. And we can spend time reflecting on eternity, that inheritance we have, and how much we want everybody else we see to share in with us in that. You see, these are ways that we can raise our temperature because they're all ways that we keep it in front of us. And I believe that as we, as we pray... We pray for ourselves. We pray for others. God is going to bring opportunities for us. And then it's just, God, help me to take the step of faith into that. So what does all this mean for us, okay? Pray for yourself and for those on your list, okay? Prayerfully pursue ways to display God's character and be available to those on your list. That's what your handout has on there. How can you build bridges of relationship? How can you love them by meeting their needs? Okay, for me, maybe I need to go out to that restaurant when I go out to eat to try to follow up on that, okay? And be ready to share stories of how God is working in movie. Big or small, share stories with one another. Let's encourage each other in this. As our worship team comes on up, we're going we're gonna to sing a song to close out this service. How great is our God, right? Is that what we're singing? And as we sing this song about how great God is and how mighty he is and how awesome he is, let's, let's, let's do that with a heart of God. Will you show me the ways that I can show the world how great you are in ways that are big and small? Let's go before the Lord in prayer. Lord, I pray that you will... Well, God, I thank you for the salvation that you've offered us. God, I thank you that you are great and you are glorious and you are mighty and that you have called us to be your witnesses your ambassadors your missionaries and god we need your help so god will you do a work in and through us that through us broken frail fragile people your power that is at work within us can show the world just how great you are so will you do that lord in your name jesus we pray amen